are now listening to a very special message from Joy Community Church. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Father, we just uh, always are amazed at your presence. We're always amazed that when we're in need of a breakthrough, that you're the God who never sleeps, you're the God who never slumbers, you're the God who is always available and present to those who are facing difficult situations. Lord, I just pray for our body, who our body's gone through so much illness. Our body has gone through various diseases that are robbing people of their joy and robbing people of a a life that they long to live in Christ. We thank you for your hand upon those situations that in the natural and even with the report seem limited. But you're the God who can break through the most impossible situation. I have this sense today that there are those who are on the edge. They're on the edge, Lord. They're just saying, God, I need my breakthrough. I've been working this through. I've been trusting you. I've been believing in you. I've been exemplifying being a Christian who has faith but I'm still in this situation. So God, whatever lesson you're trying to teach, whatever principle you're trying to reveal, whatever aspect of your character you're trying to deposit, we pray you'll be faithful to do that. And we pray that you'll relieve those people of those illnesses. You'll bring the healing virtue of our Lord Jesus Christ into those situations. Right now, right now, Right now, some just need a breakthrough. I think of uh, Patty Puglisi, Lord God, who did not respond well to her process, Lord. And it was in a crucial moment of life. Father, come in the power of your Holy Spirit. Come in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Come and bring deliverance to her situation today. We thank you for Rama, Lord, who actually came to church today. And Father was sitting there. She's a miracle, Lord God. You intervened. You set her free. You healed her. We thank you for that this week, Lord God. We thank you for your faithfulness. We think of Pastor Alvin today. Lord, I've never been in a hospital bed for two years. He needs a breakthrough. He needs to get up out of that bed. He needs the strength and the grace to talk, to move to adjust, to dress himself, to do the basics in life so he can move out of that hospital bed, out of that hospital room, and come home soon in Jesus' name. We ask for a breakthrough today in the name of Jesus. Touch his mind and allow his mind to be sharp, alert, and ready to do the things you're calling him to do. Allow his body to respond to his mind because his mind is saying, I want to do this, but my body is limited. We pray for a breakthrough. We ask, Lord God, that just as Jesus spoke to the little girl Tabitha, arise, he said, 
and be healed. We say to Pastor Alvin, arise and be healed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and be mighty. We just pray today, Lord God. We look today, we lift up Sandy Fix, who needs a breakthrough, Lord God, as she is adjusting to her illness and to the various things that are happening within her body. You know her system. You know her uh, respiratory system. You know, Father God, how her body responds to various things. We ask for a quickening right now in the name of Jesus. We say bloating, you be gone in the name of Jesus. We pray for intestines to properly function, lungs to be healed and made whole in Jesus' name. Breathing to occur on its own without any support. We say Jesus touch Sandy today in the name of Jesus. Lord, you are our healer. You are our redeemer. You are our strength. You are our freedom. You are our victory. You are our overcomer. We declare Jesus over those who are ill in this congregation. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, folks. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Sometimes we just have to believe. Sometimes we just have to say, enough is enough. Amen? You just say it in Jesus' name. He gave us permission to do it. Why? Let's do it. Hallelujah. He's great. Well, I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 2 today as we've just stirred our faith for the impossible. And I want to talk to you this morning about this great salvation. Start with me, please. From Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read the whole entire chapter. We must pay more careful attention that I don't pop with my microphone. There we go. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which, fr- was, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. What did he put? Everything. What? Everything. We're not talking about Billy Fusillo here. Everything is huge. In the kingdom of God, Jesus has all power, all authority over everything. Jesus' power is huge. Amen? It's huge. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might test death for, taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children of God, the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who are all, all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants." For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He was able to help those who are being tempted. What a great verse to end it with. Barna Research Group took a poll on what people thought about salvation. This is what they discovered. 56% say a good person can actually earn their way into heaven. 44% say that if a person does not consciously accept Christ as Savior, they will be condemned to hell. 44% say all people experience the same outcome after they die, regardless of their religious beliefs. This is today, by the way. This is what people are believing today. 34% say there are some sins that God cannot forgive. That's why people walk in condemnation. 31% believe that hell is a literal physical place whereas 37% say it is actually just a separation from God. 39% uh, say it doesn't matter what faith you embrace because they all teach you the same lessons. That's modern thought today. 53% contend that if a person is good enough or does does enough good things for other people, they will earn their way to heaven. Now listen to this. One-third of all born-again Christians, 34% of all Christians, accept that, that notion. That's why we're talking from the book of Hebrews. To assess the essentials of our faith to discover our own personal foundations and to assess where there might be a crack 
in that foundation. That's important for each believer to understand where they stand regarding the things of Christ's salvation. These statistics prove how essential it is for you and me to pay attention to the word of God. How essential it is to read it, to apply it, and obey it in our lives. Many believers have been drifting away from God's word and are confused about this great salvation that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. And chapter 2 highlights the danger of neglecting our salvation. Just because you have it, it doesn't mean you don't need to work it out. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's an attitude of awe. There's an attitude of respect. There's an attitude of honor that we should have because we behold the name of Jesus. And Christ resides within us who is the hope of glory. He's not a casual buddy. He's the King of Kings and He's the Lord of Lords. We are exhorted by the author of Hebrews to be aware that we don't slip, that we don't drift away from the things of the Lord. This morning I want to talk to you about how we are encouraged through this chapter chapter to pay attention to this great salvation that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you three cautions I see as I've read this chapter and studied this chapter, three cautions to help you and me pay attention to our great salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first caution is found in verses 1 to 4. We cannot neglect our salvation in Christ because it will cause spiritual drifting. If you just kind of wake up every day and you just kind of live your life and you just kind of go about your way without being mindful that you are a born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christian who has Jesus Christ dwelling inside their life because Christ forgave you of all your sins, washed them all away as white as snow, and through the power of his blood is sanctifying you on a daily basis. If you don't think about that, you're prone to drift away from truth. I want you to think on that. When we begin to drift away, what happens is more spiritual problems can be caused in our lives. I find that when I get my eyes off the Lord and onto myself, that's a dangerous thing to do, but I do often. What I find tends to happen, and actually the enemy knows this, he comes and begins to accuse He begins to accuse the brethren. He begins to cause me to be double-minded in my thoughts. He causes me, instead of 
trusting in the Lord, believing in what God is capable of doing in situations, I can become discouraged and depressed because the answers aren't actually coming in the direction I thought they would have come. Are you understanding? And so what happens is when I get my eyes off the Lord and onto my situations or my problems or other people who are my problem, <laughs> I won't point any fingers. <laughs> but anyway, when that happens, then the enemy sneaks in like a snake and begins to deceive my heart. Once he begins to deceive my heart, I'm prone to become relaxed in the things of the Lord. I'm sharing my process. What's your process? And you're like, well, I'm saved. That doesn't happen to me. Well, get ready because it might just. Because it does happen to all of us at some time. And we have to catch it. And we have to be aware of it. And we have to be on top of it. Salvation, the salvation we have in Christ is kind of like a garden. And I've planted many gardens. Many, many gardens. And one of the things I found about when I plant a garden is that if I don't cultivate the garden, if I don't nurture the garden, if I, if I don't put the right vitamins into the soil that it requires, if I don't water it, if I don't weed it, it it's left unattended. It's still a garden, but it's left unattended. You're still saved, but when you don't work out your salvation with fear and trembling, you just leave it to leave it. It's still a garden, but it's unfruitful. And I find that a lot of Christians today are saved, but they're not fruitful. They're not fulfilled. They walk around as if they're condemned for everything they do. They walk around as a mentality of, I'm less than what I'm meant to be. They kind of nonchalantly walk in and out in the Christian language, but it's not actually in their heart. And they like belonging, but they don't like to serve one another. They like to get, they like to receive everything that God has for them, and when they don't get it, they say, tough oats, Jesus, I've, I've tried you, enough is enough. And that's the mentality. And he's saying, no, that's spiritual drifting. I'm calling you back. Salvation that we have in Christ is indeed, it's a gift. You didn't earn it. You can't earn it. It's based on grace and favor and choice on God's behalf to bring you into the kingdom of God when you respond to what he's doing in your life and in your heart. The next time that you hear or sing this hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. How many of you have heard that beautiful song? We used to sing that at Elam in those good old days. And recall that the composer, Robert Robinson, was converted under the mighty preaching of George Whitefield. He was a great awakening revivalist from Britain. But uh, later, Robinson drifted from the Lord. He had been greatly used as a pastor, but the neglect of spiritual things led him astray. 
And in an attempt to find peace, he began to ignore his call and pursue travel. Well, that's a way to get away from it. Just go on a trip. And during one of his journeys, he met a young woman who is evidently very spiritual-minded. And she came to him and said, what do you think of this hymn that I've been reading? This is what she asked Robinson. And so she handed him the book, and it was his own hymn. He tried to avoid her question, but it was hopeless, for the Lord was speaking to him. The Lord began convicting him of the status of the hardness of his own heart. Finally, he broke down and confessed who he was and how he had been living far away from God. The woman assured him, but these streams of mercy, she said, are still flowing. Can I say to you today, Congregation of Joy Community Church, that no matter where you are in your journey with the Lord, the streams of mercy are still flowing. That word mercy is an essential word in the Greek because it's talking about the kindness of God, the compassion of God, and then it's talking about the sympathetic heart of God towards you. That's what that word means. That's why he wrote the song. And through her encouragement, Robertson restored fellowship to God. My heart for people who are drifting in the spirit is to prevent them from doing so. My heart is to protect people who are vulnerable. There are vulnerable seasons in our walk with the Lord where we've been in the battle and battle after battle after battle wears us down. That's when we as a body begin to surround one another. That's when we as a body step in and we carry each other. That's when as a body we pray prayers of intercession for each individual person. They can hold steady in the midst of the mountain they're facing, the wilderness they're in, or the mountain they need to speak against. Amen? Amen. We are a praying church for a reason. Because we've been in a battle. We'll continue in the battle. But the battle is won, says the Lord. Amen. It's won. We just work alongside of him. When you look at verses 3 to 4, you see that not only have we received this glorious message of grace, this glorious message of a Savior who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten life. God gave his only begotten son. Jesus gave his only begotten life. That if we would believe in him, we would not perish. Jesus becomes this beautiful lamb, the living lamb of God who takes away the sins of all humanity upon the cross. We see that when that message is actually proclaimed, when that message is declared, when that message is believed upon, there is something that shifts in the spirit realm. We know it to be true because it says there will be signs, there will be wonders, and there will be manifestations of miracles. Salvation is a miracle in itself. Amen? 
And then it says in verse 10, that at the same time there will be an impartation of the Holy Spirit with gifts that will be manifest in our lives. Those gifts are given by the grace of God and the will of God. And so today we don't sit here ill-equipped. We're equipped to do all the things that God has called us to to actually get the message of salvation out to those who are far from God. So he's calling us and he's allowing us the privilege to partner with him and to believe that as we minister and share our own testimony of salvation, that there will be signs and wonders and manifestations. I was in my office on Friday. It was a long week. And I wanted to go home early. I started packing up early. I was so excited. I was heading out of here and home to do some more studying. I was so excited. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I have something I want you to do. Get some oil and I want you to go to the hospital. And I want you to go and anoint this individual with oil. I want you to just spend some time and pray for them. I'm like, cool. Let's do it. And so I called the family and asked the family if they were open to that. And the first thing is like, Pastor, we don't want to put you out. You're a busy man. And I thought about that. And I'm like, have I communicated that? Is that what people think? Because that's what I love to do. It's not what I'm supposed to do. It's what I love to do. It's what I'm called to do. Actually, and so are you. Because it's the gospel message. Go lay hands upon the sick and pray for the sick that they might be healed. Amen? So I go and park the car and walk into the hospital and meet the family. And it was a discouraging situation. And I just took out the anointing oil and I said, in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, something broke in the spirit. Next day, I got a call from the person who is in bed, not responsive, saying, I am doing a lot better today. Is God not cool? God's signs, wonders, and miracles. Right? You're like, well, Pastor James, you believe that stuff, so of course you're going to do it. Really? What thought is that? But that's how people think. And I'm encouraging you, we get to participate in this great message of salvation. Hallelujah. God is good. When we look at verses 5 to 13, we see something else we can't neglect. We cannot neglect that Jesus became like us so that we could become like him. I like that. And we see in verses 5 to 9 that his humanity enabled him to regain humanity's loss of their own identity 
and their dominion over the earth and over darkness and over sickness and other things. We see in verse 9 that he, may, he was made lower than the angels even though they worshipped him. We see in verse 9 that he tasted death for everyone even though he himself was the everlasting God. We see that in verse 9. And then we see that uh, Jesus, he's willing to experience this death. Why? Because he knows it will bring total deliverance, total freedom from Satan's grasp upon our life and from the power of sin that would cause our death. And so he wanted to intervene in that. And he suffered for us even though he is an all-powerful savior. He gave up his glory to become like us. He regained his glory when he rose and ascended into heaven. But he had to conquer death first before he regained his glory. Only by suffering, temptation, and death did he qualify as our captain, as the pioneer of our salvation, as the author of our salvation, who has gone ahead of us to open a way for salvation. There was this little boy in Texas, and he wanted to buy a special dog. So we went to the pet store to look at all the dogs, and he held each puppy that he saw, and, and he, he asked the owner, how much are your puppies? And he said, oh, those are all $10. And the boy petted each dog again, and he cuddled all the dogs, and there was one specific one that he liked the most, and he just held it to his cheek. And the owner said, well, did you find the dog you like? And he said, oh, yes, I did. I found the right one. It's right here. And the owner said, well, you better buy that little pup quick because all the dogs are going fast. And the boy replied, oh, mine will be here for me. Don't you worry. Nobody will take him. And the boy left the store. And what he did is he planned to save his money. So he mowed lawns. He delivered papers. He ran errands. And uh, finally, he earned that $10 to buy that pup. So he went back to the store to find his dog, and sure enough, the little puppy was still there. He picked him up, and he loved him, and he went to pay for him. And the store owner said, son, you don't want that puppy. And the little boy looked at him, surprised, and the owner said, that puppy is a crippled little puppy. He'll never run and play with you. He can't do what other dogs can do. So I want you to do me a favor. Go and pick out another puppy. I want you to get a healthy puppy. You don't want him. The little boy began to cry. He said, sir, that's the exact dog that I was looking for. And he handed the owner $10. And on his way out the store with his little crippled puppy, the owner for the first time saw that the little boy was walking with a limp because he himself had a brace on that leg. The boy wanted a dog just like himself because he knew the troubles the little dog was going to face and he wanted to be his comforter. That's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus became one of us to be with us and for us that we might be like him. 
Jesus is united to us, and we're united to him. We see that in verses 11 to 13. And not only are believers his brothers and sisters, but we're also his children. When we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when we accept him in our hearts, we move from outside in, into inside the family of God. You'll always have thick ties with your family, but can I tell you, there's more power in the blood of Jesus than the power of the blood of your family. Jesus shares our relationship and our descent from uh, Adam. And in the new birth, believers become members of the family of God. He wants to encourage us. And he says in verse 11, if you read that with me, both the one who makes men holy, that's all people, and those who are made holy are the same family, are of the same family. And that's what he does. He's saying, you belong to a family now and there's new expectations. There's a new process of being a part of this family and it's called sanctification. It's called that once you receive me in your life and once I, and, and you've accepted me into your life and once you have made a choice to live for me, now I'm going to actually transform you. I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to remove the things of your old nature. I'm going to remove and, and transform your ways of thinking, your behaviors that have actually led you into sinful behaviors in the past and I'm going to set you free and allow Allow you to be more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord. I want you to live a different life. I want you to be a holy people. What area in your life currently is he saying that area is not a holy area in you? What area of your thinking, of your feelings, of your emotional life, of your relational life, your, your behaviorals, uh, your habits, what of those need a touch of the holiness of God? He's crying out for a people that look like him, behave like him, interact like him, and walk in the wholeness of who he is, a sanctified people, holy and set apart. Not better, but set apart. He's longing to make those who he calls his brothers and sisters holy people because they have become a part of his family. We read in verses 14 to 18 that we cannot neglect that Jesus became a sympathetic high priest who identifies with our suffering. The ultimate purpose of Christ's incarnation was the destruction of the devil and to provide deliverance from the fear of death. We see that in verses 14 to 15. And we know that that word destroy does not actually mean annihilate. It's obvious that Satan is still alive and he's very busy. 
But the word means render inoperative. It means he has no effect against the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? No effect. Satan is not destroyed. He is disarmed. Amen? That's a great way of thinking about it. Jesus took to himself the nature of humanity, not the nature of angels. We see that in 16, verse 16. And it was essential that Jesus was created in the physical nature of humanity in every respect so that he could become a merciful, compassionate, sympathetic high priest. He would be the one who took the sin of all mankind upon himself. And through the atonement of his blood, we are now forgiven of all our sins. Jesus was tempted when he was on earth, but no temptation conquered him. That's the same power we have have access to. When he is talking about your temptation. And actually, that word temptation is broken down into three T's, actually, if you study it in the Greek. And it actually means you're tempted, you're tested, and you're tried. And he's saying, I've defeated that. I have triumph over that. And I can give you triumph as well. It's powerful. Because he was, because he has defeated every enemy, he's able to give us the grace that we need to overcome any temptation, testing, trial that we might endure, face today. It says in verse 18, if we go to verse 18, I want to kind of leave you with this thought. Because he himself suffered... When he was tempted, when he was tested, when he was in trial, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so uh, he is able to help. When you look at that word help, it literally means a parent running towards a crying child. Somebody who is committed to that child and hears that child's cry. Then you think of Psalm 61. I love that psalm. Why do I like that song? Because I cry out to the Lord all the time. It says, hear my cry, O Lord, attend unto my need. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, please, <laughs> can you hear me? Please lead me to the rock that is higher than I, Jesus Christ Almighty. Amen? Today, if there's a cry in your heart, if there's defeat in your spirit, if you don't feel victorious, if you're not triumphant over sin, if you've been tested and tried and tempted over and over and over again, I say cry out to the one who hears the cry. Amen? Amen. Cry out to Jesus. He is your deliverer. He will set you free. He's coming to us today. And he's saying, come to me if you're tempted. Don't let the enemy tell you that what you're tempted in is who 
you are. Did you hear what I just said? Don't let the enemy, when you're tempted, say, that is who you are. He is the accuser of the brethren. What does Jesus call us? Brothers and sisters. What makes us think that the enemy won't accuse us? Condemn us. And make us feel like peons spiritually. I say don't drift. But be sifted. Don't drift. Sift. Let God work in you. A fear for his salvation. Work it out with fear and trembling. That's what he's inviting us to do today. We're encouraged to pay attention to the great salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can make a declaration today that you're going to pay attention to this great salvation and not drift from your faith in Christ. Something just happened. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Be courageous in your faith. <laughs> he says that in 1 Peter chapter 5. He roars around, like he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking those whom he may devour. Don't let him rob you of the joy of your salvation. Amen. Father, we thank you today for this awesome time in service, a time of worship, exalting you, worshiping you, a time, Lord, to pray for our city, time to give of our tithes, time to pray for the sick, the sick and those who are really battling in their lives. And now, Lord God, a, a time to pay attention to the areas in our salvation when we may be slightly drifting away, calling us back to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We bless you for the call. We're hearing it right now, and we're responding. And maybe you're here today, and you need to rededicate your life. You need to recommit your heart, your life, to the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're kind of getting a little messy, kind of getting out there and drifting away. If you need a, a prayer today, I want you to just put your hand up right now. You've just been drifting, and you just need Jesus to touch you today. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Praise the Lord. Father, we pray for those who are coming to you and then saying, I've been drifting. Things in life have been too much for me to manage. Things in my heart have been overwhelming. The cares of this world are dragging me down. Lord, we just pray for those who are just asking for you to keep them standing firm on a firm foundation of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father God, that whatever is in their way, whatever the enemy has tried to do to tempt, to test, or to bring them into trial after trial, we ask that you would strengthen their minds and their hearts, and their souls, and their spirits, and you would make them mighty conquerors in your precious name. May they sense even a shift today in their thinking, in their feelings, 
and in their behaviors. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is he not good? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at joycc.info.